In this episode, FNZ founder Sumit Bose speaks with Lord Demon, chairman of the Committee on Climate Change, about the net zero target. Mrs Thatcher's former environment minister has been chair of the Committee on Climate Change for more than a decade, but nothing has thrust him into the spotlight more than last summer's declaration by the government to set the net zero target in statute. Uh, Lord Demon, thank you very much for joining us on Future Net Zero. Um, You've sat, well, you've been involved in environmentalism pretty much all your working life. Before we talk about where we are with net zero, do you feel we've reached a, an actual tipping point in what was seen as environmentalism now being actually seen as our life? Oh yes, I think, I think it's a different world. I think in particular the finance industry has changed and begun to understand that if it wants to be here in 10 years time, it's got to get this right. Uh, the issues we've been talking about have ceased to be add-on extras, bits that you have to deal with for public relations reasons, and have become very central to the way in which you make money, and that's where it should be, because uh, if we waste our resources and don't provide for the effects of what we do, then the cost will be enormous, and the cost will be felt not just by the community, but also by the individual companies. So they have changed, and that's very exciting. How did, I mean, you've been involved, I think, since 2008, is that right, the, the Committee on Climate Change? Indeed, yeah. So it was there, ticking away under the uh, Labour administration. You had uh, the Stern Report, you then had Electricity Market Reform in 2010, and there's always been this kind of battle between what industry wanted and what was seen as the, the committee's role. Do you see a coalescence now that actually has led to the setting of this target? How, how did it come about? Well, I don't think there was a battle between industry and the Climate Change Committee. I think what the battle was, was to express the need to counter climate change in a form which mm. people would accept as meaning they had to do something. It was all very well doing it in a general terms, and that's why the first and second carbon budget were relatively easily met, mm. because what you were doing were changing, was changing the way we generated electricity, which actually didn't mean... Fiddling around the edges, wasn't it? Well, it was a very central thing to do, and you had to do that first, and it cost a lot of money, but it was done in a way which didn't actually impinge upon the lifestyles of anybody or many businesses. Now, of course, People have recognised that you get to the stage in which it really does make a big difference. But at the same time, of course, they are beginning to realise that they're going to have to do that anyway. Um, from right across the board, from farmers looking at the way they have been farming, mm -hmm. knowing they've got to change uh, because the way they have been farming isn't going to operate and work. Mm. Um, right away across to people who have been happily uh, ignoring the pollution they make, now realising that actually you can't do that and that somebody's got to pay for it. Did you feel frustrated? Because often, you know, I've been covering, as I said, for 10 years we've been covering what's been going on, and it felt like the committee was always making recommendations, trying to cajole or sometimes use a bit of a stick, but was generally seen as either a talking shop or knocked away, you know, dealt with in a different way compared to perhaps an, an audit committee or something like that. Did you feel that you, you had enough teeth or is it suddenly now that actually the culture has changed and businesses are 
willing to listen to you? What, what do you think has been the difference? I think you have to build yourself into a position. And what we had to do, first of all, my predecessor as chairman, mm -hmm. had to show that this was a committee of authority. To start with, who knew? I mean, here were these prominent scientists and yes. economists, certainly, yeah. but did it have the authority? Did it have the really tough answers? And it took years to do that. And um, for me, this is the first and foremost issue. People now believe that what we say is based upon the science, it's the best available, and they don't even see that here, but they see it all around the world. I mean, our net zero report has mm. been accepted as the basis of the net zero activity, which, what, 120 countries are actually at the moment proceeding with. Well, it's our report that has given them that opportunity. So that wasn't frustrating all those years of kind of not... No, no you, have to win your, you have to win your spurs. I don't <laughs> yeah. mind that at all. But now we have won our spurs. Of course, we, we will still be under great pressure from mm. people because uh, everybody would like to put off some of the things that need to be done. Uh, there's always the battle with people who just would prefer not to know. They just, because that's really what the, uh, the remains of the deniers now are. Yeah. They're people who would just prefer this to go away. Yes, and, and so, of course, they, they'll make uh, odd sallies and we'll have to make sure that uh, we can defend ourselves against that. And then, of course, there are these absolutists on the other side mm. who who suggest that we're not yeah. moving fast yeah. enough. In producing the net zero report, we had to produce something which was scientifically correct, that it was credible. Now, what I mean by credible was that we, we were not going to base a report on pretending that huge changes in lifestyle mm -hmm. could, to, could take place uh, in a certain way. I mean, there will be some big changes, but you can't bank on them. Uh, and the second thing we were insistent upon was that we didn't want to bring into the equation new technologies about which we knew not enough. Sure. So this report was answering the question, could we meet net zero? And we said, yes, we can meet net zero using the current technologies and not expecting a huge change in uh, public behaviour, mm -hmm. although we should expect some change. So it is not unreasonable to say that there would be a 20% reduction in the amount of meat that we would eat. Uh, not that that would mean you eat something instead of that, you eat less but a better meat, but after all we all eat too much mm. in any case. So, mm. But if you look at the <coughs> statistics, it's clear that that's the direction in which the public is going anyway. So uh, a bit of a nudge in that direction is a, a reasonable thing to do. So when we say we can reach this by 2050 and we can do it within a reasonable budget of something between half and two percent of the GNP, which is certainly no more than we've already put aside for uh, this program, even when we were only going for 80 percent, uh, you then have something which people can believe in. And that, to me, is the exciting thing is, of course, there are those who, who deny it and uh, those who want us to do things much more quickly. But for the majority, they see this as a moderate, sensible, deliverable, difficult pod product.
Now, that's where I ought to be. I mean, I'm, we're going to do this, so we're going to achieve it, but it's not going to be easy, but it's really possible. If we had proposed something like, um, oh, that we could do all this by 2025, first of all, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> without doubt. Without yeah. doubt, you can't. <clears throat> and secondly, people would know that you can't, so they wouldn't try. So, yeah. so there's a, a realistic, there's a realistic yes. and you have to be realistic. Yeah. So when I get um, attacked by George Monbiot or people yes. like that, I just want to, I want to say to you, it's all very well, uh, we need you because you're the sort of person who makes sure that we go as far and as fast as we can, but do recognise that if you want the, we'll only do this if the nation does it, if the world does it, then you've got to make people sure that it is doable. Can I pick up a, f a couple of simple points? What do you see, and I've got the definition of the, what the Climate Change Committee, what do you see as being net zero? Because people could say, actually, I'll keep polluting and I'll just plant a bunch of trees and I'll offset it all. You actually see this as a positive reductions but with the realism that there will have to be some offsetting. Is that, is that your view? What, how do you see net zero? Well, I see net zero as being, again, objectively truthful. Right. That there are some emissions which we know no way of stopping at yes. this moment. There will be some animal emissions. Uh, there will be some human emissions, after all. Mm. Um, there will be uh, aviation emissions because we haven't yet got, although I hope we will have, yeah. we haven't yet got an alternative to fossil fuels for flying. And it would be unrealistic to believe that everyone is going to stop flying. I hope that people will fly less, uh, less and make choices when they have alternatives, but that is a different issue. Yeah. So if you know that there are going to be some emissions, then what you have to do is to seek good ways of uh, replacing those emissions. And I see this as very positive because if you take, for example, farming, there's no doubt that if we made our farmland more uh, fecund, if we mm -hmm. actually returned yeah. the fertility to the soil that modern farming has taken That's out, right. yeah, sure. it will then let the soil take in much more carbon. If the soil takes in much more carbon, it in turn becomes more fertile. Mm -hmm. So this is a really good circular system. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore you begin to see a real change. What's more, the food it grows is better for you because one of the problems we have is that if you eat your five a day they are less good for you than they would have been 50 years ago mm -hmm. because so many of those trace elements that used to be in the soil are not there if you mm -hmm. put that back you make a huge change so so i don't see sequestration mm -hmm. uh, as the offset as mm -hmm. being a bad thing or a second-rate thing i see it as a good thing but it mustn't be the excuse for not cutting your emissions as much as possible. And that's why when people talk about uh, biofuels, yes. I am very restricted in the use of the biofuels. There are some things for which biofuel is the only answer. So we'll use it there, not have it misused in areas which really can be replaced by alternatives. One of the problems you must have faced is that you have scientists. scientists are all about blue sky thinking and they think about the science of something. And then the reality is you're a politician, you know how people think, and then you have the business and finance argument. 
When you were putting this all together and you said to me earlier, you thought it was a credible target to be reached in the time that you feel could be done without costing too much, and then the killer sort of nudging our behaviour. Do you think that there's been a shift enough for you to now do this that you couldn't have done this 10 years ago? So you couldn't have said, actually, we'll do this because you'd never have taken business with you, whatever scientists came up with. Well, I think there is a degree of credibility uh, which we have today, which we didn't have then. And though that's what yourselves, or you mean because no, I, the public has changed its mind? The, the credibility is based on three changes. One is, there's the simple narrow one, that the Climate Change Committee has proved its case and its ability. Right. The second, which is uh, an obvious one, which is that more and more people know that climate change is happening. I mean, the spring is a fortnight earlier, and mm. there are lots of people in the countryside particularly who recognise that. And you only have to look at bushfires in Australia, and apart from the Prime Minister of Australia, everybody else recognises that this is part of yeah. a change in the climate, and that, that change in the climate has been more and more obvious. Mm. So, secondly, there is a credibility because more and more people have recognised that there is no doubt about the science. So they've known about the science, but they now say yeah. there is no doubt we about the science. Okay, you can yeah. see it in our yeah. own experience. And I think the third thing that has happened is that more and more of industry has seen that what you need to do in order to fight climate change is actually good for business. Uh, I mean, the Pope made this remarkable comment in his great encyclical Laudato Si, in which he said, climate change must be seen as the symptom mm -hmm. of what we have done to the world. And once you look at it like that, of yeah. course, Business says to itself, yeah, well, if we go on doing this to the world, we won't have the resources we have that we need. Yeah, exactly. We yeah. won't have a business. Yeah. If the temperature changes like this, uh, many of our installations will no longer be able to be used. If we go on in the, f in the fossil fuel industry and people stop using fossil fuels, we will have stranded assets. They're beginning to recognise that. So for us, even in the last six months, I have seen this in, in all sorts of areas. What private conversations you've had Private conversations and business now going to say, look, we must have some help on ESG, not on mm. climate change, but on ESG, on sustainable development. Mm. Not actually thinking about climate, but thinking about how is our business here in 50 years' time, 10 years' time. I mean, there was a good American who said to me, look here, he said, uh, what I want to tell you is that sustainability for me starts by my company being here in a hundred years' time. Absolutely, yeah. And, and once you start talking like that, Ooh. which is what you do do, then the finance houses are beginning to say, where do we, in your pension funds, your funds that you give to us to invest, we'd better do it in a way which means that it isn't destroyed by the effects of climate change and all these other matters. And what they're also finding is that the people who give them their money to invest are asking the same questions. I mean, after all, if you've got your pension money, you do not want it to be in an industry which you think may not yeah, be there. Absolutely. And uh, uh, the other bit about it is that the whole concept of resource uh, is much more important. The fact that business has become much more interested in its supply chain because it's recognised how endangered that is, not just because of resources right at one end of it, but uh, if you do find that people are packing your products 
and they are actually slaves and are Syrian refugees in Turkey behaving and being made to behave in a way which is unacceptable. is isn't long before you recognise that that's not only wrong, it's not only bad for your reputation, but also it's not dependable because it, it's only there for the moment. Mm. And one of these days you won't get your goods. And you won't. So the, all those things have come together and that's why one is much more um, confident that we will do what we need to do. The, the, the reason for this platform is I believe that, you know, the, the catch line is simple, better business means better planet. So I've always believed, and I, the reason I've started is because I've felt a real polarisation in society. We've seen it in politically, with Brexit, we've seen it all the time in the recent election, where there's either one side or the other. So you're either with Greta Thunberg and it's all evil and you haven't done it, or you're with Donald Trump and it's like, you know, don't worry about it, it's, it's fine. Um, do you worry about how polarised we are? You said you've had criticism of people like Monbiot and other people. People will say you're never going to, you know, there is a, a, a groundswell of people who are in this echo chamber who just don't think we're doing enough. And that kind of does derail things because companies, as you say, may want to do these things. But then if they're criticised by doing a step and it's not seen as big enough, then they might just think, well, why are we, why are we bothering? Well, I don't think that. I mean, I think that there is, of course, um, a great reluctance in many of the campaigners to say thank you yeah. and, to be and to be grateful for the things that are done. I think that's very silly of them because it's the, it's, it doesn't encourage people to do more. But look, it's always been true. I, when I was Secretary of State for the Environment, Greenpeace was yeah. my biggest ally because they were out there far mm. beyond anywhere I could get, but at least it enabled me to say to my colleagues, you cannot sit where we are, we've really got to move forward in this. And that was the time... So you look at Extinction Rebellion, you think it's, it's been good for the Well, I, I, think it's, I think Extinction Rebellion has been good because what it has done is to remind people of the one thing which we have still not got, which is urgency. I mean, they haven't got any answers. If you no. press them, they, yeah, they, they have no answers. But that's not what their job is. Their job is to say, you cannot go on like this. You have got to move. And it is still true that um, even though we have a consensus, even though we have a government which has committed to things which you might never have thought that a mm. Tory government would be, uh, all those things may be true, but it is not urgent enough. You know, we've got, um, we've got a bill on uh, agriculture and we've got a bill on the environment and it's all good-hearted and all sorts of powers are going to be given by yeah. to ministers, but there isn't a list of things that are happening today yeah. and tomorrow. And actually, tomorrow is crucial. We have got to be doing it now. And I think Greta and, and uh, Extinction Rebellion are constantly pressing for the urgency and that we need. And without that, we won't get where we need to do. But you mustn't then say, well, we'll do it by a date you know you can't. Because that, I, I'm very concerned that we should not have people who have turned off the whole thing yeah. because you don't tell them the truth. Now, the truth is, for example, it would be better not all to go vegan. The truth is that we need animals if our land is to be properly looked after. Now, I'm happy for people to be vegan, but don't hijack the whole system yeah. to be vegan. And also, remember that you ought not to be looking without great care at some of the vegan alternatives. Some of them have a huge carbon footprint. Yeah. I wouldn't myself think yeah. almond milk yes. is a good yeah. substitute. Mm. Others do have. So let's 
let's be very careful that our discourse is truthful. And if you're truthful, then you will be uh, not entirely uh, favoured by those who don't want to know and those who don't want to understand how difficult it is. And we ought to be somewhere in between those. doesn't mean to say you're being led astray by politicians. It means you're doing your job, which is to enable politicians to deliver. And that's what I've got to do. I've got to enable politicians of all political parties to deliver net zero by 2050. If I do that, I've done something really worthwhile. Um, before we come to the end, why do you care so much? You've all, you know, don't get me wrong, you're a sprightly gentleman, but you're getting on in a few years, you've been around the wild, you've done your job servicing the country as Environment Secretary. Why are you still doing this and why are you still passionate about this? Well, I was trying to think that the other day. <laughs> um, you thought I've had enough. No, no, I'll tell you why. I know exactly why Is it, it was. Kids, grandkids? I don't no, know. It, no it, was, it was my childhood. It was that I was brought up in a family where we were taught very strongly that we were stewards. Right. That we didn't own anything of our own. Everything that we had was created for us and we were there to look after it. And I still find that. It still is to me absolutely fundamental. The thing that gives meaning to life mm -hmm. is that uh, I and you and everyone else there matters because they've got a, a job to do. They've got a vocation and that vocation is actually the vocation of stewardship. And that gives meaning to life in a very exciting way. If you give that up, then I don't see why you should be around, really. And it seems to me it's, <laughs> that's your duty, and yeah. you get on with it. And uh, one of these days, no doubt, I'll fall off the platform. <laughs> that is it. But then one, as long as one's healthy enough to do it, I shall do it. Do you think that we will get... I think I was talking to Piers Forster, who yeah. you know very well, I'm sure. For, and he said, actually... The real thing is, whether it's 2050 and you looked at 2040 and you looked at other things, the hard work in this, is this next decade. You get the ball rolling and then you'll get the incremental grains from this. Do you believe by the end of this decade we will see a fundamental shift that has changed? You know, we've already seen it in the way that people look at renewable energy compared to 10 years ago or driving an electric car or cutting down on meat. But do you actually think we're going to see... The, the twin pressures now of business driving with science innovation that will really make a difference in this next decade. Yeah, I have absolutely no doubt at all. And I'm seeing it already. I mean, I had dinner last night with some friends and one of them um, was lucky enough to have a house in France to mm -hmm. which she used to go every other weekend. She now goes for three weeks at a time because she won't fly that number of times. Right. So her, in her privileged position, yeah, of course. she made decision. that decision. Yeah. I think there are lots of decisions being made all over the country all the time about this, but it's only a beginning. And just like when I was young, nobody thought two hoots about drinking and driving. Mm. Today, my children would not think of driving the car having had a single drink. That's not that's not how you do it. Designated driver, yeah. that's what you are. And I make that, those, if you think about when you walk along the street and you see somebody smoking, I'm afraid today you feel what a pity that they're still doing that. Yeah. I mean, we, we, change, things yeah, do absolutely. change. Yeah. The, all that I'm concerned about is not to 
demand of people changes that they cannot do. There is a distinction between what you would like to mm. happen and what, you, what can happen. Uh, and you've got to be careful to push people as far as they can reasonably go without turning them off. Because if you turn them off, then they say, well, eat, drink and be merry, for yeah. tomorrow we die. And I was remember saying to uh, Ed Miliband once, mm. we were talking about these very issues, and uh, he was talking about industry, you see, and, and I said, well, the problem, Ed, with you is actually you're a convert, you see. I'm, I'm a capitalist and I know perfectly well that industry uh, talks about competition, mm. but actually likes being a monopoly. So that's the nature of things. So what you have to do is to push them just this side of the impossible. Never go over that. Mm. You must never ask people to do something they just simply can't do. But you can push them to that point, and I think that's what we are doing. And I think that's not what we as Climate Change Committee, or they as the government, or politicians. I think it's the whole of society. I think it's people's children, and it's yeah. the school teachers, and it's the uh, campaigners, and it's the whole of the setup. The only sad sadness it is, is that some of the British press is too firmly in the pockets of uh, the fossil fuel producers and very old-fashioned owners. Yeah. Um, let's hope we get over that. That's part of the sadness of Brexit, which of course is bad for all of this, because Britain no longer has the power to lead as mm. we were able to. It's a pity. Uh, finally, this platform, we've created it to do exactly that, hit that middle road. Um, what do you think of it, the idea of creating a place where businesses can lead other businesses? And I don't believe in denial. I believe that you take people, but you have to be realistic. Do you think it's a good idea? I'm very much in favour of it, particularly if you get businesses to share, because one of the awful problems about this is that I keep on being told by people what a wonderful job they're doing, but actually all they're doing is uh, reinventing the wheel. Yeah. And um, in my business life, when we help people uh, deal with ESG, the uh, environment, social and uh, governance issues, uh, the thing we bring to them is the fact that we've done it for lots of other people and therefore you don't have to reinvent yeah. the wheel. I think that's true all across the board. So any way that we share these things, well, that is our aim to get people then talking. that's exactly what it should be. And I think that's, that's true, um, what we do in Sancroft. Uh, all the time is say well, and, and the most so interesting. It's so exciting that you're dealing with the fashion industry and you're applying something that you learnt in the restaurant industry with something that you picked up when you were helping Coca-Cola move to uh, non-HFC refrigeration. Yeah. You yeah. put all those together, and suddenly there's a new way forward. And I think the thing we've missed in all these discussions so far is just to say this. I think industry is also recognising how much more exciting this is. How much more challenging, but yes, how much more exciting it is. And that's why I always say to people how lucky we are to be alive at this moment, because this is a moment in which we, we have real opportunity to change the world. That must be good. You're very positive, and that's a, a brilliant way to end the interview. Thank you very much for your time, Lord Dean. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.net.
futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.